feel sorry for him. He's cut himself off from so many people, including Alia. Okay, okay. And it's not going to be all day. Why don't we go for a bit of lunch when you finished your work? Absolutely. Got the afternoon off. Mm. Never have you felt more of a royalist. Mm, won't go that far. <laughs> we could go to the Rovers. Queen Jenny's putting on one of her famous spreads. Pie platter out the freezer. Mm, got it in one. Word of advice, avoid the prawn ring. I'll see you later. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 253 of The Talk of the Street, another official Coronation Street Catcher podcast that thinks the signal for the days of Daniel have been the creepiest is a bit like choosing which animal's effluence would be the best to drown in. I'm Gavin. And I'm wondering what's in those boxes behind you. Nanny your fucking business. <laughs> Nanny your business. <laughs> I love it when you, for some reason, I love it when you say that to me. None of your fucking business. It's none of your fucking business. Uh-huh. It'll be my business on Sunday. Well, you hope so. Sunday, Sunday. Sunday is a mothering Sunday on this side of the planet. Yeah, we don't call it that, though. We just call it Mother's Day. Mothering Sunday. Mothering Sunday. That was a movie that I watched last year with full frontal male nudity. Oh. And I'm quite excited because you always do a good job. Oh, somebody's trying to sweep me up for something. No, I was... Because all this week on my Facebook memories, Mother's Day has been coming up. Uh-huh. And, you know, one of, the, one of the ones that I remember quite fondly is during lockdown, when you got fancy food from, from the English Inn of the street. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. And we did, you know, we did lockdown Mother's Day. And it was really nice because you guys got... You guys had to get really creative with it and then there was that year that i got all the cheese remember that remember the year you got me all the cheese i don't remember i don't remember cheese sunday i tried to get english in but as listeners may may remember from last week the fact that it's mothering (laughs) sunday in a couple of days kind of took me a little bit by surprise so english in only had reservations at ungodly hours. So, <laughs> I bet. So we um. That's fine. We won't be going there. That's okay. That's okay. I like. For our dinner. Remember, remember when we went? I think it was last year we went to that place in Howell that used to be a different place. No, that's <laughs> not where we went last year. Well, one one year for Mother's Day. No, Mother's Day last year we went to. Uh, the people's kitchen. Did you enjoy that? I loved it. That's good news then. <laughs> oh, good. Are we going to people's kitchen? This oh, have I said too much? <laughs> we went there for Valentine's Day as well. It's a good place to it's go. A good and place. we only go for special occasions. And so. we know the chef. And we do. How's your toe? Uh, I think broken. Again. Mm. What is it with you? That toe, especially. It's the same toe. It's the same toe you broke with. Uh, 
with a bed falling upon it. This time it was just a garbage can. Don't let that fool you, <laughs> listeners. This garbage can is a 80-gallon garbage can and weighed quite a bit and fell on my foot with, with quite a bit of force. But as per the time when the bed fell on my foot and I shouted, bastard, at the top of my voice, <laughs> nobody gave a shit. Well, the kids were gone, yes? Nope. They weren't? Nope. And I was the, ups- kids, the kids saw it happen. <laughs> and I was upstairs still half asleep because I've been kind of sickly all week. Yeah, I have to be feeling that great either. I, I thought the thing I was going to complain about on the podcast this week was how I'm a little bit choked with your cold. But my toe is... You're welcome. ...by far the the main complaint, so... Oh, yeah. I was out, I was out of work for two days. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine because the man cave auction is live. Oh, hold on. <laughs> auction talk. <laughs> I think, I mean, I like the jingle, but I think your old timey crotchety, probably red hatted American accent saying auction talk. Yeah, I do that live. It's my favorite. I do that live. It's different. <laughs> A little bit different every time. Yeah. So I was just starting a new auction, the Farmhouse and Barn auction this week. I don't have a sound effect for that. So, like some chickens or something. You may have noticed that some things have been disappearing from the garage. I can't say that I have. Oh. Well, fuck you then. (laughs) Things. In particular, chairs and Picture frames. Oh, it's so hard to tell. There's like a million picture frames in there. Well, now there are two. Oh, two million? No, just two. Just two. I will. I will. I will make a special effort to to try and spot it next time I'm in the garage, which will be tomorrow. Ha ha. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Oh, before we do. Will we talk about next week now? Let's talk about next week now. Oh, yes. Because next week, we're going to go and see Ario Speedwagon. Foreigner. Same thing. (laughs) And we're going to see them in Battle Creek. Kalamazoo. Same thing. (laughs) Next Friday. Next Friday night, yes. Same thing. And and, and obviously, we won't be able to do the podcast as we're at a... I've forgotten already. Foreigner. Foreigner concert. This is Stelly's Christmas present. Right. So I'm thinking we do the podcast next Thursday. You don't want to do it Saturday? And just do it from Monday, Tuesday. I don't have time anymore to sit and do a podcast on a Saturday morning and then edit it. There's too many other things going on. Let's aim aim for Thursday and we'll just do a a shorter week next week. Then we get to do a shorter week. Yeah, but then we have to shove Friday into the next week. But that's way off in the distance. We We can worry about that in a fortnight. Okay. Fortnight. Haven't said that in a while. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that delayed calling news. Our loss is Little Orphan Annie's game, as Jody Pranger takes some time off the cobbles to play Miss Hannigan. Who? In Annie, the musical. Oh, that one? Yes. This isn't, she's not left. No, no. She's taking a short break. Yes. The role famously done in the movie by 
Miss Carol Burnett, who I love just as much as I love Jody. Tony Maudsley, who is absolutely unbiased, says she's brilliant <laughs> in it as he and other members of the cast went to see a performance at the Regent Theatre. He is unbiased. Night. Fictitiously buries dead people for a living. There's nothing more trustworthy. Right, yes. But that's his little that's his little TV show sister. So he's quite I proud. I think that's delightful. Quite proud. I am so happy for them and not at all jealous. Congrats to Coronation Street for picking up nominations for the British Soap Awards, which I should have talked about last week, but there were too many dead people. Too many dead people that used to be in the show. Yes. Those nominations include Best Villain for Todd Boyce as Stephen Reed. Best Young Performer, Jude Reardon as Sam Blakeman, which I love. I love Jude and I love the character of Sam. He hasn't really been in it quite as much as some of the other young people. Well, I don't, I don't know what the what the window for. Yeah. Although I guess it must be it must be quite recent if Stephen's escapades are up for a nomination. He's been on it for a while now. It's, yeah, it's but he hasn't like really started killing people until fairly recently. Best leading performer Charlotte Jordan as Daisy Midgley. Best British soap, obviously. Best comedy performance for Maureen Lipman as Evelyn Plummer, obviously. Best single episode for The Acid Attack. Best newcomer for Shanique Sterling Brown as Dee Dee Bailey. Yay! Nice, nice one. Yay, love that. Love that. Best dramatic performance, Charlotte Jordan again. So that's great. For Lots the, of love for Daisy. For The Acid Attack. Yeah, and just the whole stalking thing in general. Right. Best family, the Platts. <laughs> Plat chat. Plat chat. Best storyline, Daisy stalking. Um, Don't need my guitar here. Scene, no. Scene of the year, the asset attack. Best on-screen partnership. Who do you think gets best on-screen partnership from the hmm. show? Daniel and Ken. No, Daniel and Chesney. All those characters were in it this week. We were spoiled. We were spoiled for boring moment of the week. <laughs> no, all answers are incorrect. It's only David Nielsen and Maureen Lipman is Roy and Evelyn. Oh, nice one. Yes, I'm quite pleased with that. So congrats and good luck to all of those people. Especially Charlotte Jordan, who's up quite a bit here because yeah, she does a great job herself, in the stalking storyline, yeah. uh, and is continuing to do so. Yeah, despite the, not quite as pleased as this, uh, you know, in this. No, the gods of plot are throwing some ridiculous bits and pieces at her, but when you ignore that, but the, the the stuff that's still going on is yeah, still pretty good. Yeah, she's still a brilliant actor. Yeah. Yes, and finally. You may have noticed that Kev is spending an awful lot of time in Germany. Yes. With his with his dead dad who's it, already been buried. Is he digging that grave himself? He must be. No. It's, in in it's, German? It's it's only because uh, Michael Lavelle, a.k.a. our Kevin Webster, has been quite busy due to the MGN hacking court case yes, that is ongoing, which is just so convoluted and bizarre to me. Yeah, this seems to have been a bit of a, a bone of contention yes 
Apparently, he was targeted by MGM because he was a union rep at the time, which made him privy to information about other members of the cast. And when that information about other members of the cast got out, a number of other members of the cast accused him of being a mole. Right. And he became very paranoid and suspicious and stopped going to his favorite pub and lots of other things and just had an awful time on on set because people were suspicious of him and it was not his fault. Right. It's crazy, isn't it? I, I, I think it's, I think it's horrendous. It and is I, horrendous. I mean, you could say that the, the machinations of our, of our British soap opera are kind of low stakes sort yes. of stuff. But you know, when it's affecting that your, your working life and the, your reputation amongst your your peers and contemporaries, mm-hmm. then it, it kind of affects you quite a bit. Yes. Th- there are other aspects of the phone hacking that go far deeper and are, are far more uh, horrendous pieces of shit. Let's just, yes. just say from, from some of these tabloids doing doing really unspeakable things and using this information for for terrible reasons. Uh, how they sleep at night? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Freaking Anderson Cooper was was getting up on CNN and being an apologist for the whole Trump roundtable thing, which was appalling that CNN let that go on. Mm. So American journalism is certainly not unbroken, but just the whole sort of underhanded hacking stuff that the British press do and some of the other stuff that the British press do with people who are not on Coronation Street. It's just, it's really appalling. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd be as sure of thinking that the American journalists don't stoop to the same levels. They just haven't been caught. Right, and they don't... Some of the stories in the British press and the British tabloids are just an awful lot more disgusting and invasive than American tabloids, mm. which don't get me wrong, are terrible. But still, everybody's terrible. That's Corey Nukes. Keeping it light, let's move on to it. everyone's a critic. Quite a bit to get through this week. Uh, we really? heard from Coastal News Podcast, your premier home and away podcast. Ooh. They helpfully posted it on our Twitter. I'm thinking that the Vegas visa thing that they were going on about last week is the ESTA waiver thingy that us Brits call a visa. I, re- I think I've travelled on this once. Uh-huh. Used to be you filled out a waiver form on the plane, but mm-hmm. now I think you since since nine eleven you had to fill out something electronically, and it, I think it got registered against your passport or something like that. So uh-huh. I had forgotten about that. That's what they'd been talking about. Coastal News goes on to say other big items around the house. We talked about the big light. Uh-huh. There's also the big remote. <laughs> the big ball that your auntie always seems to have. My auntie did indeed have a big ball that she would fill with sausage rolls. Sausage rolls? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't they smell after a while? Or did everybody eat them? Well, you ate them. It wasn't like a sausage roll potpourri. <laughs> I just think although, when I think of a big although ball... Although I am interested in that. <laughs> it would be like filled with... <laughs> Well, that's easy for you to say. 
and the big and the big coat for when it rains sideways. Then Sophie Cheekbones also off Coastal News podcast. So I, I don't know if it was Cy that wrote the first one. Mm. Great pod again this week as always. Late light license drinking establishments can stay open until five a.m. In the UK. It's practically le- the next day. At least it did. I used to go to one and then walk to work. Of course, I was much younger then. Mm-hmm. W- weren't we all? Yeah. Then Ian Les Paul writes, I agree with your high-level ranter. One of the strongest features of the podcast is the musical jingles. Rather like old oak furniture in a coaching inn or the decor in Betty's Tea Room in Harrogate. They provide a comforting, familiar ambience. Oh. The podcast would be a lesser creature without them. I always imagine that Gav crafts them on his Casio down at the button bin in order to avoid copyright problems. It's but, a Yamaha. But they are clever little gems in their own right. The auction one is a masterpiece. And I didn't pay Ian Les Paul a single penny for saying that. You didn't write the auction one, though, did you? Uh, no, but thanks for pointing that out. No, for, for, <laughs> ones, that I, for ones that I can't be bothered writing. Right. I take uh, open public domain. Right, yes. And... Yeah, because that's and, not your and, voice. And then, uh, in inverted commas, reimagine it. Ah. Again, to avoid copyright problems. Thanks to everyone who wrote in slightly too many to read out in their entirety this week. That, that's how much we got. Wow. If you want to feature in next week's Everyone's a Critic, you can drop us a line at the talk of the street at gmail.com or you can get in touch with us on any of our many socials at Corey Podcast. Yes. And it- now we'll podcast for coffee. <laughs> If you really want to make sure that we mention you, buy us a coffee. <laughs> Thanks to French Helen for her coffees this week. Oh la la. I wish it was French coffee. French Helen writes, you may be interested to know that the French for pig's tits is pig's teats. <laughs> Thanks for the chuckles. Have a coffee on moi. Well, thank you very much indeed, French Helen. Merci I, beaucoup. I'm currently drinking Canada Dry Zero Sugar, but tomorrow I will enjoy my Oi. coffee. And I will think of La Marseillaise. Canada Dry. Yeah, I've finally realised what you were doing. <laughs> what have you drunk? Uh, uh, cranberry juice. There you go. Yes. The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. Helen, you always forget about the YouTubes and I don't know why. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. And we will be very grateful, won't we, Helen? Yay. Just like we are for French, Helen. Ooh la la. Merci beaucoup. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, we didn't Did do we the podcast, do podcast this time last, this time last year last because year? I was on my deathbed. Oh, that's right. You had COVID. Up to my tits in the COVID-19. <laughs> oh, what fun we had. Literally up to your tits in the COVID-19. Yeah. God, that was scary. It was scary. The, the sickest I, I've ever been in my life, I think. I did not like you having COVID. It wasn't like when Stelly had COVID. No, she was neither up nor down. No. I was very much down. Very much down. Well, for a while I was very much down. For a couple of days I was very much down. And then 
I think I just felt like I had the cold for a while. I thought but I was for a gonna, couple of days I was really, really sick. I thought I was going to have to do the fireman pick up on on you and, and carry you down the stairs and, and take to an ambulance. And all that fun stuff. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now, due to WGA writer strike, there will be no jokes in this week's recap. <gasps> so, business as usual. Pay writers. Our first storyline tonight is Damon Bad Omens 2. On Monday, Sarah's got the leather skirt out of the wardrobe and Adam approves for a second until he starts talking about the Bistro Late Licence again. He talks about this quite a lot. Yes. You, however, are the Scotsman who always approve. Well done, Sarah. He's worried about the beating Damon took and what folks are going to think about that. Sarah goes to the Bistro to gloat about Damon getting the shite kicked out of him to Nick and Leanne when Damon comes in and she quickly leaves. Nick and Leanne tell him that they're not falling for the mugging story. He suggests that they need him, especially as apparently they're off to see a supplier at lunchtime and with him there, at least they can stay open. I, mean, I thought that the Bistro would have planned their visits to suppliers at times right. where it didn't affect their opening hours. But One would think. But hey, what do I know? Sarah is in line at Nina's Rolls listening to chatter about Damon and his face. Dee Dee insists that Damon got a beating for doing the right thing for protecting one of her clients and probably saving their life. And this gives Sarah food for thought mm-hmm. in her pants. So, <laughs> no. so she tails it back to the bistro where she sets about winching the face off of Damon. She apologises for jumping to conclusions and then suggests that they jump each other's bones to make up for it. Right. Damon locks the door and they head into the office for their haul. Sarah mumbling something about being cheated on in the past. So very much an afterthought. Oh, and I can't do this because I've been cheated on in the past. Now, come here, you. Right, yeah. Very much so. Later, Dee Dee runs into Adam ahead of a meeting at the bistro, but apparently the oven's packed in. They find Leanne and she gets her keys, so they have their meeting and go through their paperwork at the bistro. Back there, Damon and Sarah are getting dressed in the office when they hear Nick and Leanne come in with Adam and Dee Dee. Gulp, says Sarah. He goes out and covers, saying that there's a gas leak and everyone needs to leave. Everyone out! Dee Dee spots Sarah's bag and hides it from Adam as everyone rushes out, which allows Sarah to sneak out the back with the remains of Damon's lust squelching in her high heels. Yuck. Later... After the bistro hasn't exploded, Nick and Leanne think that Damon's up to something. Damon admits that he's maybe been overly cautious after he got the fuck kicked out of him the other day. And he heads off nice and, one. and meets Sarah in the gunnel. And he thinks uh, that the danger was exciting, but he'll be more careful in future. Sarah thinks that they should quit while they're ahead. Damon agrees and suggests that she meets him in the hotel later tonight. Right. Let's quit while we're ahead. And then you can give me head. <laughs> yes. So at home, Sarah tells Adam she's heading out with Becky and Trina, who definitely sound like real names. Right. Oh my God, Becky. Look at Trina's butt. It is so big. <laughs> what? I like big butts and I cannot lie. Becky and Trina? The, the, it's just Becky. Oh. I just threw Trina in because it was funny. Oh, okay. And you say, I don't get your jokes. Adam says that he'll just stay at home and work on the Bistro Light Licence. Well, you stop going on about the Bistro Light Licence. On a bank holiday. And you don't have to say specifically what you're working on. Just say that you're working. Just before she's ready to head out, Dee Dee comes to the door and tells Sarah that she saw her bag earlier and though she was getting pegged off of Damon. 
and asks to be kept out of it, which is weird because she's the one bringing it up. Sarah agrees, and when Adam appears, she says there's been a change of plan. Becky and Trina will have to have the fictitious night out later, and she and Adam can go and get their hole instead, right, which is be- what they do. Because Becky has a dodgy tummy, because she looked at Trina's butt. On, uh-huh. <laughs> On Wednesday, Nina's rolls. See, I did get it. On Wednesday, Nina's rolls. Harry's got PE because everything's been moved back because of Tory cuts. He and Adam are cute together while Sarah dreams about Damon Bobby. And later, as she's leaving, she runs into Dee Dee, who, despite making a big song and dance about keeping secrets against her boss, now wants to talk about it all over again with Sarah. Sarah insists that she's going to see Damon later to make sure he gets the message that the whole thing is called off. So she goes to do just that and goes to the office in the bistro. She tells Damon that Dee Dee knows but will keep quiet, but she's done. Damon doesn't think so and they smooch. But Sarah pulls away eventually and says it's over and she can't do this. Bitches and hoes, says Damon. But the two of them meet up again on the street. Sarah maintains that she wants nothing to do with Damon anymore, but he fancies another role in the hay. They're interrupted by Dee Dee and Adam walking the other way. Adam whisks Damon off for a meeting about, I presume, the bistro late licence, which leaves Dee Dee to look at Sarah with that face. Sarah pleads her case, saying that it wasn't what it looked like, but Dee Dee asks her if she really wants the licence to fail and Damon to leave town. Because suddenly, maybe she decides that she doesn't want to know the answer to that yeah. after all. Right, yeah. And that's as far as we get with that this don't week. Don't ask questions, Dee Dee. She don't want the answers to. Yeah. I, I don't understand why in this storyline and the other storyline, she's so quick to lie for these people. Because in this storyline and the other storyline... It's not really helping. Oh, it's not helping at all, no. 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 Just just let her get caught, Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. Let her get caught. I and get let the Paul feeling, go to prison. I get the feeling that Dee Dee is one of those people who says, oh, do you know what? Just don't tell me because I'm the keeper of everybody's secrets. And yeah. it's just too much. When secretly she's like, give me all the gossip. Right. She loves it. She loves being... The in-person, I think. She loves having this bit of information that nobody else knows. You know what I really enjoyed this week? Hmm. Lots and lots of Baileys. The only Bailey we didn't see this week is Michael. And of course James, but James doesn't count anymore. He's in that London. Right. Only fleeting moments with Ed and Aggie, which we will get to. Right. Sadly. But those were delightful moments with Ed and Aggie. I enjoyed those moments yeah. immensely. It's like It's like we had... A Dee Dee day, we had an Ed and Aggie day, and then we had a Ronnie day. Oh, we did have a Ronnie day, that's right. Yeah, today liked, was a Ronnie day. I like Ronnie day. Ronnie day is my favourite day. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. I like Arums. Yeah. <laughs> she keeps on saying, Dee Dee keeps on saying, look, you need to stop telling me these things. I can't do this. This is my boss. But she's always the one that seems to go to Sarah to talk about it some more. It's just a little... It's a little try-hard after a while. But here we had it. This is the thing that we've been waiting for since the whole condom lying on the um, the hotel floor. The bit where Sarah gets a hole with Adam and Damon again. And this time we didn't see see any any condom wrappers. I did like that shot with them shutting the door with like their silhouettes there for Mm -hmm. a second. It was like, yes, this is a soap opera. This is what I have come to see. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was dealt sexy with quite, times. Quite uh, sexy well, times. Taste, for... Tastefully handled. Yes. It kind of feels as well at this point that Sarah's doing as much of the chasing here as Damon is. Yes. Because when she went to the to the beast for the first time and they ended up kissing, right? He initiated it. But he initiated it with absolutely no lead-up. She right. was there, the bistro was empty, so he kissed her. Mm-hmm. And for a, a certain period of time, she was very much into that. Right. And then, I know we've had it in the past before where when he seemed to cool on mm-hmm. the whole thing, she seemed kind of hurt by right by the, the, the somewhat rejection. Right. So, she needs that attention. Yeah, she's definitely, definitely craving... That and not getting enough of it from Adam, who is up to his tits in this bistro late license. I think is what he's working on. Right, I think so. He may have mentioned it once or twice. Right. So yeah, and also, and even before the late license, he was like always at work. He was always doing stuff. He was not going home and giving Sarah the big D, or, which she was. Or when she, when he was there for that reason and others. She was the one who was always at work. Right. So the, their, their schedules have been clashing against each other for a while here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Harry didn't say soft play, but he was very excited about PE being pushed back, which I loved. Yes. Yes. And he was also quite cheeky. He was a bit cheeky. Without saying can't. <laughs> was that cheeky or is that just you should know better? <laughs> He's four. How could he know better? He is adorable, though. I I like, I like that they've started to give him more lines. Yeah, and they're giving him more complex ones where right. he's to run off while Adam is uh, counting up to or counting down from three. Right. So, yes, that so was he, a cheeky bit. Right, but he has this uh, expectant face on right. him where no matter what he's smiling. Right. Because he's got a line coming up. Right. And he's been cheeky, mm-hmm. and then he's running off, yes. shouting over his shoulder at Adam calling him a cunt. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it it's a it's a lovely little introduction of him in, into the show, right? And it also, I, th- I think, is there primarily to show this little family unit, right, in front of Sarah that she is. <laughs> <laughs> fucking up <laughs> tremendously with, with absolutely no consideration about no, it whatsoever absolutely not it makes me it makes me wish that the quads were talking more i suppose that'll happen eventually yeah moving on then our next storyline is hello god it's me billy's tax rebate <laughs> on monday billy and summer are talking about Gemma's wedding summer for some reason is dressed like a 1980s children tv presenter she's good she's she's Going to a Eurovision party? Not in this storyline. I thought that's why she was wearing the fancy dress. No. Oh, was it for a coronation party? No. I think it's because she was in Rainbow. <laughs> Paul is too distracted to that's pay funny, attention even to the I don't pish know what Rainbow is. As he has an appointment at the magistrates later. Didi comes over and helps him with his tie. Summer catches him, so they have to lie that he has a job interview on a bank holiday rather than a court appointment on a bank holiday. We don't see the appearance, but we learn that he pled guilty and that his sentencing is the day before Gemma's wedding, and there's fuck all that they can do to shift it. Back home, Summer well, and Billy are keen to know how the interview went. Paul makes up a story about 
been an office dog's body with one of Dee Dee's colleagues and his details have been kept on record. Billy and Summer are too stupid to realise that he's lying and too caught up in excitement about Gemma's wedding because Summer is super excited about Gemma's wedding. She really is. So it's it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice for Summer. This and another storyline, it's kind of nice for Summer to be focused on other people. Yeah. Again, for her to remember that that's her character, that she's focused on other people and she cares about other people. And it's hard to imagine a situation developing here where anybody is going to shove Mike. <laughs> I think Mike is safe from being shoved. Maybe somebody should shove Mike again, though. Yeah. Maybe somebody should shove Millie. <laughs> Paul runs round to DD's. cliff. If they've done that. And it, it didn't Again. kill him. And it didn't kill him. Because God. <laughs> That's right. Paul runs round to DD's to see again if there's anything that they can do to move the date, but nothing has changed since five minutes ago. So Paul decides that he has to tell them about his motor neuron disease so he can avoid the jail. And DD is on that. Yes. She's like, thank you. Thank you for finally being smart. Yeah, the last couple of episodes, this episode here on Monday and then the episode I think on Friday from last week where Paul was suddenly faced with the prospect of going to jail for a long time Mm -hmm. and realising that he might not have many summers left on this Mm -hmm. planet and realising that maybe spending any of them in jail isn't isn't really the best plan. It took him a very long time to come to that conclusion and I'm glad that he's kind of come to the conclusion that maybe telling people the truth it is an acceptable way it's to go here. It's still quite irritating that he lied about the whole magistrate thing. Yes, there was an opportunity there to to come clean, but yes. everyone was just so excited about Gemma's wedding. I mean, mm-hmm. what could they do? Shove Mike. <laughs> Goes off to shove Mike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, someone is just super excited about mm-hmm. this. Yeah. More so than, than Paul, even. Mm. All That's right. because she's not dying. <laughs> We're all dying. Well, some faster than others. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is Norfolk in Chance. On Monday... Wait. Norfolk in Chance. What story is... Oh, oh, I know what's... Okay, continue. The Knicker Factory is working on a bank holiday for the purposes of plot. Kirk and Beth are still icy to each other, but Beth is more interested in some gossip in the office between Owen and Stephen. Stephen apparently looked like he wanted to kill several people, some of them by accident, some of them deliberately. Hmm. Beth walks into the office with some coffees and overhears Owen talking about outsourcing, and she goes out immediately and tells the rest of the Knicker people their jobs are hanging in the balance. Whoa. And in the pub later, it's all the Knicker people can do not to cry into their beer. So when they see Owen come in, they approach him on the matter. He's just a client, but confirms that some of the work will be outsourced to meet demand. And I think Owen is trying not to say too much here. No, because but, he's just a client. But the things that he's saying should give them some reassurance. Mm. Some of the work, not mm-hmm. all of the work. Right. Some of the work's getting outsourced to meet demand because right. demand is so high. Right. So it doesn't sound like they're shutting anything down in Manchester. No. Owen finally gets to the bar and asks Jenny out to dinner, but she knocks him back, denies that they ever had a connection, and tells him that she's sure that he has a better offer in his little black book. Owen hasn't a fucking clue what she's talking about. Nope. 
later outside the pub. Beth quizzes Stephen about the the outsourcing stuff, and Stephen confirms it, but tells them that their jobs are quite safe. They have so much work, it's fallen out their arse, and they're going to have to train new staff in Norfolk, because for some reason, Norfolk. And Beth is relieved. On Wednesday, it seems that Kirk is still staying with his and Tyrone, which came as a bit of a shock to me, so heaven alone knows what Beth and Kirk think about that. Right. On the street, they see Beth talking to Stephen, and Fizz overhears Beth staking her interest in the Norfolk job. Stephen tells her to make her pitch officially, which Beth thought she was doing. In conversation with the Knicker people, Beth announces that she has nothing to hang around for now that her and her Kirky have split up. Fizz says that if she moves away, that'll be the final nail in the coffin of her relationship with Kirk. Fizz says Kirk puts on a brave face at work, but is clearly a broken man at home. And all of this is overheard by Stephen. Yes, and my thought immediately went to, how is he going to use this to kill someone? How is he going to use this information to do something bad? Like he's going to kill Beth because she wouldn't make a good supervisor? I don't know. Or she's going to kill Kirk so that Kirk she's won't be kill sad? Kirk? No, he, Stephen. Oh. Stephen's going to kill Kirk so that he won't be sad. I think I could get behind that. <laughs> oh, no. Remember when it looked like they were giving Kirk a storyline? That's kind of evaporated, doesn't it? Well, it's now he's still... just Now he's just sitting on the couch and Fizz and Tyrone's saying annoying things. Well, there's still this thing between him and Beth not being together. Yeah, they're not really doing anything to resolve or move forward, despite the fact that Beth and Kirk are in several scenes together. Yeah, but they're not nice to each other. Or she tries to be nice to him and he keeps knocking her back. It's not entirely progression, though, I don't think, is it? Yeah. So, later, as the Knicker people are heading out for lunch, Stephen asks Fizz to hang back. In the office, he offers her the Norfolk job, tells her Beth isn't supervisor material, and promises Fizz a 100% pay rise. He tells her to think about it, speak to Tyrone, and give him her answer tomorrow. So at home, Tyrone is telling a boring story about car recovery when Fizz tells him about the Norfolk job and the pay rise and Tyrone's eyes turn to pound signs and his tongue falls out a little bit. It's nice that Stephen knows that Fizz is married to a man named Tyrone. Yes. It's very convenient. He knows, like... Yeah, he's probably well, got Tyrone's number in his phone. Probably. <laughs> Just in case his car breaks down again. Remember when... Oh, I was furious about so that. So bad. I need my car now. That was. I'm one, an annoying little Canadian man. That was one of the first times that you, it wasn't. It wasn't a pleasant chap. No. Like the times when uh, Tim's dad was sabotaging Brian's beans, bean plantation. I was thinking about that during the Brian and and George storyline last week about about. Brian's beans. I'm I'm often thinking about Brian's beans. <sighs> Chewy. <laughs> what adjective would you use to describe Brian's beans? Non-existent. Oh, that's a disappointing adjective. Well, it's because Tim's dad stole them. I was a little confused about Tyrone being so excited about this and thinking that he might be able to 
to work less. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's essentially his point. That, That's excellent. If you've earned more money, I don't have to work weekends anymore. Well, and then he can go and spend weekends with her. But Which is nice. I, I don't know. that the, At this point, I, I don't think they'd mentioned where exactly it was going to be or he had misunderstood where Norfolk was. And I think there was also an assumption that... He uh, thought it was Norwich at first. It was like a permanent... Well, Norwich is in Norfolk. And there is a a permanent... Well, there's some other place... There's some other place that starts with an N that I think he thought it was at one point that was closer than two hours away. Hmm. That's two hours away from us. Oh, Norfolk is much more than two hours away from from Manchester. Well, Fizz said something about two hours... Well, Fizz is, Fizz is wrong Fizz, huh. And maybe you're thinking about Nottingham from another Another storyline hmm. Yeah So Back in the factory Stephen unprofessionally Tells the knicker people About offering Fizz The Norfolk job Which obviously puts Beth's nose out of joint She says that she didn't want The stupid fucking job anyway Well that worked out fine then Said Stephen Yeah See So it kind of feels like He was trying to stick it to Beth For some reason Anyway in this very unprofessional way that he announces this. There were so many things about that. You, you thought murder, and that's absolutely fine. Because <laughs> it is Stephen. When he was overhearing it, I thought he was thinking, well, I can't send Beth to Norfolk now because I don't want to break up somebody's relationship. That wasn't what he was thinking. No. I was also thinking that he was observing Fizz handle Beth Mm-hmm. And thinking, well, Beth's clearly not up for this job. But I don't think that was what he was thinking either. And I don't think he was really seeing anything in Fizz to say that she was better for the job. It was just that Beth is just absolutely appalling. Well, and also, you know, that Fizz did handle Beth quite well in that scene. I suppose. At home, Fizz and Tyrone are still chatting it over. Seems that it's a short-term position, just long enough so that Jenny McAlpine can have her baby and Fizz can train those Norfolk knicker people up to a reasonable standard. Let's call it six months. Because they're the best parents and people in the world, they decide to let the kids decide whether or not the Fizz goes to Norfolk. Hope doesn't give a fuck, and to be fair, neither does Ruby. So it's agreed. Fizz is moving to Yemen. I mean, Norfolk. Norfolk is a long way from your tit to your elbow, but it's 250 miles and can be done in around five hours. It completely bypasses Nottingham that we talked about the other week. Yes. Hope is just happy that Fizz will be earning more money, and so she puts a wish list together of things that she wants Fizz to buy with the more money. She does. Completely forgetting that, you know, this will help ease the stress of food and utilities and rent. Well, this was... Also a little bit of a of a question mark for me, because where is Fizz intended on staying when she's in Norfolk? Apparently the factory is putting her up, is what it seemed when, when we get the Zoom call later. Yeah, she seems to be in a hotel somewhere mm-hmm. that's presumably not, she's not out of pocket on this, because if no. she was in all the pay rise that she's got yeah. is, is going Pointless. to that. Right. On Friday, Tyrone is helping Fizz pack for her trip to Yemen to help out the Yemenese knicker people. She's nervous ahead of the move, although we don't get to see her. We see this through the eyes of Tyrone and Kirk. And Kirk is worried about how Beth is going to react to Fizz getting a big fancy job. And at the Knicker Factory, we find out that Beth is sulking. Not helped when Izzy reminds her that she would have hated being a supervisor to those Knicker people. 
She would have loved the money, though. Yeah. Because that's all that matters. Later, Tyrone gets the car loaded up and Fizz fucks off to Norfolk. Back at the house, Kirk's presence seems to be getting on Evelyn's tits and she tells Kirk to write a sorry poem for Beth and then fuck off home. Everyone else is missing Fizz, but they promise to video chat later, which they do. Later, Tyrone is staying up making a Mary Shelley costume for Hope's upcoming party or something. Maybe this is... It's that. for school. Is it for school? I yeah. thought this was maybe the, the limo party that she'd arranged with uh, Eliza that we seem to have forgotten about. No, yeah, no, this is Victorian Day at school where she has to dress up like a famous Victorian person and she's chosen Mary Shelley. <laughs> and she says to Tyrone, she wrote Frankenstein and Tyrone goes, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he didn't believe her. Right, and like, she's going to have Frankenstein on one shoulder. Yeah, Dr. Frankenstein on one shoulder and Frankenstein's monster on the other shoulder. And Tyrone has to build all of this Mm -hmm. and find the dress and do the dishes and take care of the tea Mm -hmm. and do the laundry. And he's starting to realize just how much Fizz does for him. And that was kind of nice. Hmm. It is also kind of nice seeing Tyrone make a paper mache Frankenstein and for Evelyn to say, your bolts are drooping, which is hilarious. Yeah, and he says to her, you could help me out here. And she says, yeah, I could, but I'm not going to. She's going to get the dress. Later still, Hope comes in while Tyrone is still working and they both admit to missing fits. So Hope manages to get some extra tablet time from walkover Tyrone. Right. And Hope seemed to be up to that point not really that first one where they are looking at an opportunity to to bleed our parents dry a little bit more. Right. But she did seem to be kind of upset about missing fizz and her hugs by the end of that sort of thing. Because that's as far as we get with that this week. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, even when she's kind of put off and standoffish and stuff, that's that's definitely showing me, a mother, that she is upset by this. She's just not expressing it. Very well. Right. Because that's not the kind of kid she is. She only expresses affection when she wants something out of you. Right. Like tablet time. Yeah. That's why she gives Tyrone a hug and doesn't offer to help Tyrone build her costume <laughs> that she has designed. So this is uh let's get Jenny McAlpine out of the show for six months storyline. Yes. And I've got to say, for uh, get somebody off the show for six months where they have a baby storyline, this one's actually not too bad. No. Well, I mean, the last time wasn't too bad either when she went to Nottingham with with fit, with Hope. Was that Nottingham? Isn't that what we just talked about? It's the fact that Hope's No, the special... Nottingham thing was something that happened last week that somebody was going to... Not- no, it was the, um, the young crew's night out. Was oh, that's right. It was gonna, supposed to be in Nottingham. No, no, no. Hope's special I think hospital it was, in was in... Was it in Birmingham or was it, was it in Birmingham. Scotland? Because so many things are in Scotland. No, I think it was in Birmingham. No, Peter's special hospital was in Scotland. Because when you think people drying out from alcohol, you think Scotland. That's right. Welcome in. You'll take a drink though, eh? Yes. Come on in, eh? Hey. Come on in, eh? Have a drink, eh? My friend, my friend Ruth and her wife are in Scotland right now. And she just had haggis for the first time. Oh, I love about haggis. She did not have any HP sauce with it, though. I, I think it's probably frowned upon to have HP sauce with it, but I have HP sauce with lasagna. And pizza. Mm-hmm. It's, it goes well with cheese, I'm sorry. 
It also goes well with haggis. Yes. We had some haggis in the freezer and it's probably gone off by now. Probably not. It's in the freezer. Yeah, it goes bad though when it's been in the freezer for too long. Yeah, it hasn't been that long. It's been like six months. And that's been Haggish Talk. (laughs) (laughs) Haggish of the week. Nobody got their their fingers stuck to anything. There was no glue this week. I'm so disappointed. Nor any special necklaces. Or head injuries. Yeah. Just slack it off. Deary me. Well, a fruitful and rewarding break to Jenny McAlpine. Yes. As she goes off to... Enjoy having that baby. Have another baby. Yes. And I'm sure we will all like to see more video calls and Tyrone running off to Norfolk every now and again. Yes. Or will it just be completely forgotten about? Who knows? We'll see. Our next storyline tonight is HBO Max. On Monday, <laughs> Daniel... It's just the Max now, isn't it? Daniel still... No, it still shows us HBO Max. Mm. Daniel still can't find his phone and can't report it missing because he shouldn't have had it in the first place. Correct. Ken is short on sympathy and is sure it's been nicked by an inmate. Later, his teaching... And Daniel disapproves of the term inmate, although those children very much are inmates. They cannot go out. No. They're not outmates. No. Later, he's teaching Max's class again, and during a moment where Gavis is distracting Daniel with his incredible banter, Max returns the phone. Daniel dismisses the class, then notices his phone is back. What a great teacher. At home later, Daniel goes through his phone and notices that he has a video, and it's Max. Max is apologising for doing this, but he couldn't be seen doing his homework by Gav and the others. Daniel is disturbed when uh, Ken comes home, so heads for the pub instead to listen to the message in public, in which Max admits to having a hard time with the young offenders, and how it all goes back to Daniel telling him about David's rape, and how everything snowballed from there. He admits to doing terrible things, and he deserves what he's got, but it's hard, and David appears at Daniel's shoulder, and hears all of it. Right, says, is that Max? Yeah. Daniel's like, excuse me, this is a private booth in a public pub. Public place, yeah. It's my, literally with, called with my, a pub. With my volume turned way up. Yeah. Afterwards, David wants to go to the young offenders to see if Max is alright, but Daniel swears on his secrecy. Max has trusted him with this information and he doesn't want to betray that, but he promises to speak to the people, the young offenders, to make sure he's safe and well. He wants this chance to help. I can reach him. On Wednesday, at number one, Daniel announces that he's got a meeting today with some prick from the Young Offenders thing to talk about his concerns with Max. Daisy warns him that he can't fix this in a day. Daniel is such a fanny, I doubt he could fix anything in a lifetime. But the prick at the Young Offenders thing doesn't think there's anything going on that suggests Max needs anything more in the way of support. And Daniel can't say what it is because that would mean owning up to have brought in the phone and losing it and getting it back again. Daniel really didn't think this through. No. Somehow, Daniel gets to see David in the visit room and gives him an update before Max arrives. Nothing can be done without showing the video, and showing the video will breach Max's trust and probably also get Daniel the boot. Mm. Later, David tries to cheer Max up by telling him that there's a good chance he's going to get out on early release. Maybe. And this is why I'm, I'm... I mean, there's many, many problems with this. Absolutely. But one of my major problems is... Max is probably going to get out pretty soon. Boo! Which you can argue about, right? Boo! But but any situation that is happening is very temporary. And even if it isn't, it's done in three months. 
He's only he got a six month sentence. Right. He's getting out after three. Right. And he's already served like eighty percent of it, ninety percent mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. So why everyone's just running about to make sure that Max is okay? Right. Yeah. Especially it's like they haven't Daniel. learned anything. Exactly. Have you not learned anything? He's supposed to be in here to be re- rehabilitated and learn yeah. the error of his ways. Yeah. Having Hoddit and Doddit running around here trying to make sure he's comfy yeah. isn't really doing that, I don't no. think. It is quite shocking to see him with that shaved head. I really got used to it very quickly. Especially on the video call. On the mm. video. Because, you know... It's it's elongating his face on the screen. It's just he looks so haunted. Yeah. Yeah. And he should. Yeah. It's not going out very much. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Unlike unlike David, who goes to prison and comes out with a tan. Right. Yes. And and, and a copy of season one of How I Met Your Mother. Never miss the opportunity to mention that. No. And the in the class later, Daniel pulls Max aside in front of the other kids to ask how he is. What what's he doing here? At least Max is savvy enough to say, I can't be talking to you right, right. now. Right. He's so This and the conversation that he has with Ken later, it's like you are such a dumb person <laughs> when it comes to people. Right. What is wrong? Even Ken understands people more than you do. Mm-hmm. And he's Ken. Even Eccles understood people more. And he's dead. She's dead. She's dead. And she's also a dog. And also one of those one of those ladies who died last week, it was her character that gave Ken Eccles in the first place. So the video has proved that Max isn't happy essentially being in prison. Max tells Daniel to suck his balls and goes off to join the others. So later, Daniel is trying to get them to tell him about the themes in 1984. No one's interested, so he picks on Gav. Telling him that Gav might think that he's big and clever, what with his fancy podcast and his frankly exceptional Photoshop skills, broadcasting to thousands of people on Twitter that Daniel is a fucking fanny. Well, you're not so big and clever now that I'm calling you out in it, are you, Gav? Suck my balls, I said. And means, <laughs> says Gav. Well, yeah, Gav is actually quite savvy here in, you know, in distracting from the lesson long enough to get... Daniel to explain the difference between the two English classes. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he's hes obviously just wasting Daniel's time. And Daniel doesn't realise that that's what's no, happening. No, not at all. I would rather stand here for uh, five minutes and explain the differences between English language and English literature. Right. Rather than have you answer the question that I posed like five minutes ago. Yeah, right. it's, it's very good stuff on on, uh, on Gav's behalf. There. Yes, I like Gav. While Daniel is whittering on, Gav challenges Max, what the fuck is going on between you and Mr. Droopy Draws over there? Max denies it, but Gav says there's definitely something happening with all the side whispers and stuff, so Max resolves at that point to be as disruptive as possible and be as big of an asshole as possible to get the heat away from him. And drags in the very hungry caterpillar. What has that caterpillar ever done to you, Max? Also, hilariously written closer to the time that 1984 was written than Max saying, why don't we read something modern like the very hungry caterpillar? Yeah, he tried today to say that 1984 was 200 years old. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Very hungry caterpillar by Eric Carl, who's now deceased as well, 
as George Orwell. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> not, not, not contemporary, Max. Daniel wants to talk about some more uh, 1984 stuff and the boys passing their <clears throat> exams. Caterpillar. So Max Caterpillar. announces that the listener's bonus fuck and wants to talk about Hungry Caterpillar. And this gets the boys back on side and they all decide to chant about the very hungry caterpillar. Although I am delighted to know that British children also read Eric oh, Carle books. Yeah. That was a, a, a very big favourite of mine when I was growing up. Back home. The, I've been to the museum, the Eric Carle Museum. Oh, a new Beanie Space del- Camp. <laughs> is, we all know. It is delightful. I have a very cute picture of Steli as a very wee, tidy child standing before the very hungry caterpillar. At the museum. I'm not jelly. You're jelly. <laughs> Back home, Daniel explains his frustrations to Ken, thinking there was no reason for Max's outburst today, but there's no way he's given up on Max this time. Ken tells him that despite telling Daisy that he couldn't get married to her because he'd just started this job and couldn't get time off, and then going ahead and taking tons of time off anyway, despite bringing a phone into a correctional facility, and despite leaving that phone unsupervised on his desk, and despite not reporting the theft of that phone in a correctional facility, and despite seemingly singling out one of his students from the others for special treatment, and despite not recognising why Max might have been acting up, he's a good teacher. (laughs) Cheers, Dad, says Daniel. Stop lying to your son, Ken. But Ken probably genuinely does think that Daniel is a good teacher here. Yeah, because, because he's not going to give up on his kids. An, he's also an awful teacher. Well, he did punch Aidan Critchley in the face. Right. On Friday, Ken's woken up from his nap and thinks Daniel should do something to help Max, who tried to blow up the winter market a few months ago. Ken tells Daniel to figure out a way to help Max without making it obvious to the others. God, when Ken's more savvy than you are. After a search, Daniel has found Daisy's second phone. What? And records a video on it where he offers the phone up to Max and suggests that he uses the phone to make a journal of his thoughts or to call Daniel a stupid prick. It's up to him. Right. And all of this is done without Daisy's consent. Right. In The Young Offenders, Daniel keeps Max behind at the end of his lesson and gives Max Daisy's phone along with the password, instructing him to watch the video on it. Which, if I'm Max, I'm like, I don't think I want to touch this or go anywhere near it. Thank right. You very much. And also, Daniel, did you maybe make sure to delete any other videos That's exact- or photographs that might be on Daisy's phone? Exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, so he instructs them to watch the video and inadvertently convinces Max's inmate friends that he's a paedophile. In the cell, Max watches Daniel's grooming video when Gav comes in, very excited to see the phone. He snatches it from Max and demands to know where it came from, so Max admits it's from creepy Daniel Osborne so he can make videos for him. Holy shit. Gav doesn't bite and says he wants to call his girlfriend before giving it back, and in doing so, he finds a voicemail from Ryan from another storyline. Yes. And later, during another lesson, Max is picked on by a couple of bullies who throw erasers at him and accuse him of being Daniel Osborne's muse. And you is about, said erasers. And is about to turn nasty when Gav intervenes and de-escalates the situation. So Gav's a hard man then. I didn't think he was. He's the top dog. I think he's a clown. But he's a, and he's a wise guy. Oh, he's a wise guy. Yeah, he's a wise guy. But he's also bigger than pretty much everybody else there. So, yeah, he's got size on his side. 
After, Max thanks Gav for having his back and promises him that when he gets another phone from Daniel, the first person he'll give it to is Gav. So he can call his girlfriend again. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So they've they've become friends now. And that's nice. Yes. I Max think finally has a friend who also has a three-letter name. I saw... Well, it makes it easier for the script writers when they only have to write three-letter names out. Mm. I saw some conversation on Twitter about... I think it was Chris Ansley who was saying that he figures that Gav is doing a bit much in an attempt to become a more regular character. <laughs> Trying to prove his worth, I think. So he becomes a regular in the show once everyone gets out of prison here. Well, he is he is deserved. I love him. I love Gav. And I'm not afraid to say it. Do you know, it's taken me a while to admit it. But do you know what? I love Gav too. Oh, <laughs> oh just though... I mean, this carries forward into the other storyline that this kind of touches on on Friday, but Daniel is just so annoying. God, I just and, want to and, punch him in the face. I'm just wrong about brick. everything. Just wrong about everything. He's always wrong. He's never right. Why he thinks that sneaking a phone into this child with a video on it from him on somebody else's phone that he doesn't delete anything on or take the SIM card out of mm. or anything. Why he thinks why he thinks it's okay to rifle through Daisy's things and give Daisy's things away. Right. What is wrong with him? Well, I didn't think you were using your knickers. It, it might as well be, right? Right. It's, it's, a, it's a personal belonging. Right. Whether yeah. it's spare or not, it really is neither here it's, nor there. Yeah, it's not like it's not like a book or something. You know, even if it was a book, I think you've no right to give that sort of stuff away. Right, but what I'm saying is, a book, unless you know you've written notes in it or something, is not as intimate as a phone is. Hmm. A phone has information on it that you don't suspect anybody else is ever going to see for the rest of your life. Here's the password. And then your partner gives it to a teenager in prison. Now, Daniel surely could get the prison himself for this. Yeah. This is contraband. Yeah. This is bad. And he thinks he's doing a good deed. For a kid who may get out next month, next week. And for a kid... Who is in there because he made terrorist videos. Right. right. You give that kid a phone, he could start making terrorist videos again. And he's just... The, the lengths that he goes to, the mental gymnastics to try and justify this to himself. That, right, and well, to Daisy later. Well, David's, David's concerned, and I'm a father, okay? Right, yeah. So I'm also worried about this situation. Right. This is a situation that you have helped to cause. Right. And he kind of admitted that last week a right. little bit. Right, yes. But still, this is not making anything no. better. This is, this, is, this is punishment and rehabilitation, and you are trying to... To, to coddle the rehabilitation right. and the punishment. Right. Max yeah. should just say, look, that guy lives on my street. Yeah. He was my teacher before. So, yes, I know him. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like so secretive and surreptitious about it. Right. Because that just makes it seem even weirder and more pedo like. Yeah. 
I it mean, makes a creepy situation even creepier. It is a creepy situation, and and Daniel and <clears throat> being very creepy. And about half an hour from now, is going to be accusing somebody else of being creepy. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, physician, heal, heal thyself. Yes. And that's not even that's not even the creepiest thing Daniel has ever done. Sex cardigan, anyone? Sex cardigan. Uh, uh, and Daisy knows about sex cardigan. I think Daisy's worn sex cardigan. Probably. Max takes credit he's complained about it and you would complain about it I think he's complaining about it with no thought that anyone's going to do anything about it because one how and two why and also you know he's acting like like prison it's just like with Faye remember when Faye was in prison and she was complaining about it Mm -hmm. prison's not supposed to be fun you're not supposed to enjoy your time there. No. It's not, it's I'd, I'd not like it. I'd like it because I could be locked in a cell with a whole bunch of books and no responsibilities, and that would be fun. But I'm a weird person, and I'm not going to commit a crime in order to be locked in a cell. I'll just become a monk or something. I don't yeah, know. Not but anyway. Got a perfectly good basement. Um, But... You know, he's like complaining about it. It's not like anybody is even just singling him out because last week it was another kid getting picked on. In fact, one of the kids who was picking on him was one of the kids who was picked on last week. Mm-hmm. And it's like, did you expect everybody to want to be your friend in there? This uh, is what it's like. And I don't think this he did. Is, this is this is fine. I, I think, Mark's and had- I don't think he's being singled out necessarily. Any more than any of the other kids. No, I don't think so either. But but I also think that Max has a a reasonable expectation of of what what this is supposed to be like. And it is. And he's complaining about it to people because you would complain about it to people, but then you go on with it. He's complaining about the smell and the noise. Mm -hmm. The smell and the noise would get on your tits after a while. Right. But he's also, I think, got a little bit of pragmatism here that he knows that he's done wrong mm-hmm. and he knows that that's why he's there and he's mm-hmm. admitted to it and this is the price he's having to pay right. for it. And yeah. <clears throat> and like nothing... But, but nobody in, wants to let him do that. Right. There, and there's nothing in that video, there's nothing in that video that any one of those kids, if they made a video themselves, wouldn't have said. And... This is a a clear and interesting point, you know, that the um that the social worker says to Daniel, he's like, has he insinuated at all that he wants to harm himself? And at no point in that video does does Max say, I am so sad and depressed here, I want to die. No. Not at all. So there are definitely kids in there who who do. Right. And the social worker is right to say, look. There's nothing specific about this kid that's not being said by all the other kids. He's not he's not being bullied to the point where there are marks on him. Yeah, but Daniel knows better than the prison psychologist. And he doesn't want to kill himself. There are kids who are being physically harmed and do want to kill themselves. That's our priority here. Let's move what on. is wrong with Daniel? Let's move on. He's so dumb. Our next storyline is a prawn ring for the king. 
On Monday, but not like that. The Rovers has a coronation party, and the prawn ring is off. Evelyn pretends to be a royalist to get free food, and Aggie beats Ed in a quiz where she is able to name more countries who have yet to leave the Commonwealth. And Mary thinks that she looks like Kate. God save the King Prawn Ring. Moving on, our next storyline <laughs> is. <coughs> And Ryan complains about the monarchy being outdated. Our next storyline tonight is Eurobilly. On <laughs> Wednesday, the young crew are in Nina Rolls. Someone wants to throw a Eurovision party because Billy's away to see it live. In Liverpool. No one's interested. Amy might have other plans with a lad from her course, unfortunately Ooh. named Ezra. She arranges to buy him lunch. How 21st century. How it? Nehemiah wasn't available? Meanwhile, we see that Aaron, who, let's remember, raped Amy and got away with it, is getting a text message, and for one awful moment, I thought he was pretending to be Ezra. Ooh. So at Billy's, Summer is doing Amy's makeup, and they talk about this lunch with Ezra. Amy is very much looking forward to it until Summer refers to Ezra as Amy's Amy's boyfriend, and then she seems to react badly, and to buy more time, she asks Summer to do her hair. That was nice. Many, many hours later, Summer has done Amy's hair and Amy admits that she's not ready to date yet and she worries that she's never going to be ready. Summer reassures her and they decide to stay in instead, so Amy heads out to get some snacks. Wow. But on her way, she sees Aaron winching some bird in the community garden. She bumps into Addy, who quickly clocks what's going on and ushers Amy away. And back at Dev's house, Amy deliberates about going back to warn the girl that Aaron is a big old rapist. Amy fumes that Aaron is able to move on like nothing's happened and she's bottling out of her first date. She just wants to go back to normal. Meanwhile, Summer is still waiting on those fucking snacks. Yeah, yeah she is. <clears throat> that was kind of hilarious. And I'm really Summer pleased gets ghosted. that the first thing that she does on Friday is mention it. Amy goes to see Summer who's still sore about the lack of snacks yesterday. Amy explains about the girl who she saw kissing Aaron and from the description, Summer reckons it's Mia. Aaron's ex, who apparently is now back in the scene. Uh-oh. Summer tells Amy how vulnerable Mia was, so Amy resolves to tell her about how her boyfriend is a rapist. I get where Amy's coming from and where Summer is coming from. Yes. I get it. Yes, but... Mia was Aaron's girlfriend first. Yes. And was his friend even afterwards. So, I feel like she knows him. She may not know, like, drunken, scary rapist Aaron, mm. but it's not like she's, like, a brand... And this this confuses me as to why they're, they've gone this route instead of making up a completely new girl mm. for Aaron to date. Because this is someone who has a history with Aaron and a history of trusting Aaron, you know, and it's not just, like, a completely new person to Aaron. So I don't know why they think that she will listen to them. Right. She has far more history than either one of those two have. With him. Right. And I can understand why Amy wants to be the Aaron police. Right. But there's also part of me that thinks the last thing that she wants to be doing is making this her life's mission to make sure that Aaron never has another relationship. Right. Because... It's at some point that's that becomes unhealthy. Right. In the rovers, Abby's chat with Aaron and she thinks that he's moving a bit too fast with this Mia character. And at the garage, in the middle of a snowstorm by the looks of things. That was <laughs> it was so hilarious the whole week how the weather 
<laughs> while we sit in 80 degree temperatures, which is, this is, this is one of the pullbacks to the fact that they record these so far in advance. Right. This was probably recorded in February. Right. February, March. Right. <clears throat> and it's snowing. Alki Eric comes in with coffee and to let Aaron know that his nan was loaded. So now they're loaded and the pair of them can't conceal how happy they are that their nan is dead and they're now loaded. What a fucking family, says Abby. And later, Mia, the pair of them were basically jumping for joy. Right, yeah. Yeah, and Nan's poor, dead. Poor and man's not and, even and, cold on the ground. And she's left us this house that we can sell and is in an up-and-coming neighborhood where we will make a lot of money. And also a, a huge amount of savings. Yes, woohoo! Thanks, Nan, for dying. Yeah, let's reward the rapist. Later, Mia, who doesn't work at the garage, comes to the garage with some weird news. She's received a message from Amy wanting to meet up. She doesn't know any Amy. Aaron explains that Amy is Summer's best friend who is probably jealous and there's nothing to worry about. Abby is nearby and seems to wonder why Aaron is missing out a key bit of information here. Summer and Amy have spent the day being bitches about Mia's social media profiles. She keeps on cutting off her chin or something. Amy right, is, yeah, she can't take a good selfie. Amy is concerned that Mia hasn't responded to her message, but then is further concerned to learn that Mia has blocked her ass now. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. She was blocked faster than my father's girlfriend. <laughs> so now she's blocked She blocked her ass Now she's blocked I don't think Amy's going to take too kindly to being blocked Well she and Summer seem kind of appalled That this girl has blocked them This girl that they have messaged Out of the blue That she doesn't know mm -hmm. I block people all the time When they message me and I don't know them That's That's what you do I just don't get messages from people You're not a girl I'm not a girl. No. Oh, I do get occasional friend requests from uh, women in bikinis. Oh, yes. Those Hilarious. are also robots. Yes. And you always have a, a little chuckle to see hmm, which men have accepted these friend requests in the past. <laughs> oh, dear. Not you. No. <laughs> you better not. Again, Abby seems to be piecing things together. Again, Abby is becoming very uncomfortable. I don't think she's situation. fully against them, and I think she's still very much publicly trying to be supportive of behind them, right? Because but she's got this whole attachment to him, like he is. He's Seb, Seb. but there's just a few too many things right. that just aren't making sense to her. And this Mia character, the, the speed at which he's launched himself into that relationship and he, he blames it or he doesn't blame it but he excuses it because they have history together right and, and stuff kind of codependent relationship as far as we could make out from yeah. what we learned Before. a few months ago yeah but but yeah after summer and after the rape allegations you're launching yourself into another relationship here doesn't yeah. sit all that comfortably with her and then no. this why would you tell her why would you well, lie to well, her? Well, we know why. He, he can't say, well, Amy accused me of rape. Mm -hmm. He's not going to say that. No. But the way that he very quickly lied about it, I think, is a, is a red flag for, for our Abby. All right, our penultimate storyline tonight is the return of Granny Linda, which I'm going to say yay to. 
Yes. On Friday, Gemma, who doesn't work at the factory, bursts into the factory with news that she's found the perfect wedding dress for Izzy to alter and she goes through the list of changes that she needs doing, including a plunging neckline to show off her magnificent breasts. Yes. Izzy agrees because they're family. And this gives uh, Gemma some pause. She was hoping that Izzy would be able to steal some of the needed material from the factory, but when selfish Izzy refuses because she could lose her job, Gemma resolves to steal from the charity shops instead. At home, Chesney is eating a sausage roll. <laughs> He's complaining that it's not healthy. He works in a kebab shop. Get over it. Right. In comes Gemma and shares the news that Izzy has agreed to alter the dress, but has suddenly grown a conscience when Izzy mentioned being a family together and now wants mm-hmm. to invite Granny Linda to the wedding. Chesney thinks this is a great idea. Now fuck off and let me eat my sausage roll. Gemma and Chesney bump into Izzy and Devs and Izzy's piss is boiling that they've invited Linda who's arriving next week and staying for two weeks. Izzy loves her mum, but not for two weeks. Why would Linda, who is loaded, let's remember, Mm -hmm. why would she stay in Izzy's totally wee flat instead of getting a hotel room? Yeah. There is that. Hmm. Every time this gets mentioned, the the whole family tree on that side mm-hmm. is still very confusing for me. Yeah. Izzy's sister. Sister was Joseph's mother. Mother. Right. And Chesney's partner. Yes. Katie. Katie yes. Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And she dead now. Oh, she dead. She died in Portugal off screen. Yeah. And that was when Joseph came back and it, who could only speak Portuguese at the time. Mm-hmm. We kind of forgot about that mm. very quickly. <clears throat> so, Benna gets home to the quad house and when she hears that Granny Linda has been invited to the wedding, her piss boils too and then overflows and she storms off to wax her tash. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Now, I was under the impression that they had made peace the last time Linda was in. It was a very tentative peace. It was a very It was much a very, a, we both love this child, so mm, we are going to make peace. Yeah, but... Uh, Fragile is how I would describe mm. it. And chewy. Hmm. I I would probably invite Granny Linda to a wedding. Yeah, she was lovely. Yeah. And she's loaded. So imagine the presents. And the uh, honeymoon opportunities. Hmm. Cheapo honeymoon going to stay with Granny Linda. In Portugal. Granny Linda was fabulous. She was. I'm, and I'm, to, I'm yeah. hoping that we're going to get to see her again. Of course we're going to see her. Why would they mention her if we weren't going to see her? Well, they mention people and then they never show up. I'm just, sometimes just, I'm just stunned that Izzy people. is going to make a wedding dress in two weeks. And it's While no- also working. It's normally Beth who is the... Beth would want of, pay. <laughs> for you Gemma. gotta pay Beth. Yeah. Yeah, you would. Double time. Izzy will do it. Izzy will mm-hmm. do it for nothing. Izzy's face, though, when she was listening to Gemma, well, was kind of demands, Yes, know. I I enjoyed the fact that we got so much Izzy this week. Yeah, she was in it quite a bit, in different storylines, just as a as a knicker person. So mm-hmm. it's, it's good to see her back in the factory, just like any any of the other knicker people. Mm-hmm. It really feels like COVID's over. Yeah, and she's looking well. She is. All right, let's move on to our final storyline tonight, which is Daisy de Bergerac. And there was a a better alternate title that was mentioned during the storyline. Because when this was when I was thinking that Daisy was there as a kind of as a go between between 
Crystal and Ryan, and, right. it, and it wasn't that no. for very long, and it hasn't been that for a while. But no. anyway, on Monday, Daisy is going to visit Ryan, and Daniel has a problem with it now that Ryan's out of hospital. She says that she feels sorry for him, and he's cut himself off. So Daniel reluctantly approves on the proviso that they can all meet for lunch, or they can both meet for lunch. Or the two of them can meet for lunch. So Daisy goes to see him but then says that she can't stay long because she's meeting Chuckles for lunch. He wanted to watch a movie, Ryan did, before uh, heading off to his doctor's appointment. Daisy tells him that Debbie is very keen to see him too. And later, Ryan is alone when he gets a call from his taxi to let him know that he's outside. But Ryan has a panic attack and can't leave the flat. Calls the taxi back to send him on his way and then phones to cancel his appointment. And he's still panicking when he tries to call Crystal. Which, of course, makes Daisy's spare phone ring in the pub. She dings him, but he keeps trying to call. Daniel tells her to take the call, so Daisy nips out the back, pretending that that's what she's doing. But instead, she's texting Ryan. Too busy and noisy to answer the phone, she says. He admits in the text that he had missed his appointment and says he was too scared. Daisy is obviously heartbroken and tells him that he really needs to go at these things. So they text back and forth, and he even talks about Daisy being great, but obviously with Daniel, and he says how lonely he's been. So Daisy goes round to see, and this is a bit that's particularly uncomfortable, mm-hmm. is that she's learning his inner thoughts right. that he's not telling her. Right, yes. And that's that's it's particularly icky, icky right? Mm-hmm. So Daisy goes round to see who he's doing again. Ryan tells Daisy to, uh, to her face that he got the dates wrong for his appointment. She offers to go with him tomorrow and he accepts. He says he was feeling down earlier, but he heard from Crystal, and that's cheered him up. He tells her that she's been great, but he prefers Crystal's company, so she doesn't need to keep checking in on him. Yikes, says Daisy. Hi. Hi, living person right in front of me. You're great, but I prefer this person who is just a bunch of text on a phone Mm -hmm. and whose voice I haven't heard. In a suspiciously long time. <laughs> who never answers my calls. And, and who never, never calls, calls me back, back. And does not have a voicemail with her own voice on it. Yeah. And strangely, the um, the ringtone has a very UK feel to it. Mm. Back home, Daniel thinks that Daisy should let Ryan get on with his life on his own or find someone else to talk to that isn't her. She admits that she's worried that he's becoming too reliant on her, which is putting it mildly. On Wednesday at number one, Daisy tells Daniel that she's going to cut ties with Ryan today. Once his appointment is over, she's taking a step back. So she goes to see Ryan and it turns out his appointment isn't until next week. He's got a bit of a cold and he doesn't want to pass it around the hospital. Despite this, she decides to stay anyway and makes him a cuppa. She says that she enjoys hanging out with him. But he sends her packing, saying that he's going to start texting Crystal in a bit anyway. And he's wearing adorable gym jams. In the pub, Jenny thinks that this is for the best. If Ryan has Crystal, then she can spend more time with Daniel because any spare time has to be filled with a man. Jenny thinks it's good that Crystal is sticking by Ryan. Gulp, says Daisy. There's a horrible sequence later with split screens and soppy music where Ryan and Daisy slash Crystal are texting back and forth. Daisy tells Ryan that she hates dance music and name a type of music, Jenny. Country music. She prefers country music. And also, she has hobbit toes. Thankfully, this is interrupted by Debbie and Ronnie playing darts. Which was delightful. It was great. Debbie asks Daisy how Ryan is doing because she hasn't heard from him in a while. 
Jenny tells her about Crystal, which Debbie doesn't think is healthy. Then Daisy gets a voicemail from Ryan telling her that he's making plans to come out to Ibiza before the end of the summer to visit her, and he's looking to book tickets today. Gulp, so says da- Daisy. Right. So Daisy rushes round and sees that he has a flight site up in his laptop. Ryan harps on about Crystal and how fantastic Crystal is and how she's waxing her toes and is into country music. She's so body, body positive. Mm-hmm. Ryan isn't feeling that great though and has the scoots or something, but he wants to get outside again rather than moping about the house. Daisy warns him that it's one thing leaving the flat, quite another going to Ibiza for closing parties. How did you know about that? asks Ryan, and he thinks that she's been speaking to Crystal. She really could have just said that she was. Mm-hmm. And then that would have been a way out of it. Right. Daisy thinks on her feet and doesn't really need to because the laptop with the flight information is still open and she tells him that she saw that. Panic over, he admits to getting carried away. Frustrated, he asks if she still wants to go for a walk. He needs to get out of the flat. So the two of them walk by the rovers. He's scared, asks her how her first time in the rovers was since the attack and she admits it was tough, but it's getting better. He decides that he wants to go in, so he does. First Rovers, next Ibiza. He's a brave wee soldier, and Daisy seems to recognise this. And this was great, I thought. It was. It was delightful <laughs> seeing him go in to the Rovers. The little scene between the two of them as they're talking outside, and she says how difficult it was to go in the first time, mm-hmm. but she's there so often now, she doesn't really think about it. Right. But you could... You could hear it in her voice how mm-hmm. how difficult it was for her to speak about it. Mm-hmm. This, and I think I said on Twitter at this point, this storyline is so much better without the, the whole, whole crystal shite. Yeah. Even the crystal light shite. Right. So when he goes in, everyone is thrilled to see him, especially Debbie, who gives him a big hug. Oh, that was so sweet. While Jenny tears up and, oh my uh-huh. God, that was getting me going. Right. Daisy whispers at Jenny to pull herself together. But she's worried because Ryan's looking so pale, and he really is. Mm -hmm. Ronnie and Debbie are lovely, and Ryan seems to be enjoying himself. Later, Debbie and Ronnie are pished as farts as they leave, and Ryan has a bit of a flashback, but it doesn't really set him back. He's surprised that there's no sign of the attack ever happening, and Daisy remarks that there was only one chair that was so damaged it was beyond repair. A bit like me, says Ryan. He thanks Daisy for her support, and they seem to hold hands... (coughs) just for a brief moment and then it's over and Sarah comes in later and finds it tough to look at Ryan so while he's off for a shite Daisy berates Sarah for a reaction and Jenny more calm tells uh, Sarah that she'll know better next time and then gives Daisy a row for being Ryan's guard dog in fairness Sarah does say Sarah is the one who asks I got that wrong didn't I and there are like some people in the pub who don't speak but look at Ryan funny. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie at that point is the one who says, Oi! Can take I a picture. You? Last mm. longer. And now fuck off. <laughs> when Daniel comes in, he's far more cool about seeing Ryan. Good to see you out and about, says Daniel. You too, says Ryan, which is a totally Ryan thing to do. Like when someone says happy birthday to you and you say, Yeah, happy birthday back to them. It makes you think. Or when, you know, the lady in the checkout line tells you to have a nice day and you say, mm. You too. And then you feel like an idiot because she's going to be at work in the cashier line oh, all no, day. I, I never feel bad for saying that. I say that all the time. You're just delightful. Um, <clears throat> Ryan has left and Daisy and Daniel are in a booth talking about how their days went. 
Daisy is conscious that she keeps missing dates with Daniel and she keeps saying that she's going to cut ties with Ryan and then doesn't. And when Daniel says that she and Ryan will always have a bond, she says Daniel has nothing to worry about. And when he acts disbelievingly, she says it would be ridiculous for her to be interested in Ryan again and she can't wait until she's free from him. And unfortunately, Ryan has come in to retrieve his phone. He hears all this and he's devastated as he leaves. People leave in their phones, man. This wasn't a Daisy thing to say, I didn't think. I think it was an old Daisy thing to say. It wasn't a new Daisy thing to say. And the the lack of reaction from Daniel when she says it was just... This is so appallingly plot-driven rather than character-driven. This is something Daisy says to console Daniel and his his bruised ego. Oh, absolutely. Completely. But it's not so it's a not, character thing. So, of course, Daniel's not going to react because this is meant to placate him and he is sufficiently placated by it. But it's a horrendous thing to say. Yeah. And but the, he doesn't care because he's placated. Well, he doesn't care because he's not meant to care because the only person that's meant to care about it is Ryan overhearing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it just, was kind I of ridiculous. It was so heavy-handed and it was so awfully done. I, d- I didn't care for it at all. And, no, and, I hear you. And the bit outside the pub was so much better than that as they're, they're talking mm-hmm. together. And it was so much more character-driven than this. this. Yes. This was just, I need to write a cliffhanger. And so, therefore, that's what this cliffhanger is going to be is, the, is overhearing this, this right. terrible, terrible words that are falling out of Daisy's mm-hmm. mouth here. Yeah, it didn't work for me at all. On Friday, breakfast at number one and Daisy's having regrets over what she said last night, which Daniel mutters was a bit much. He tells her that she's been a brilliant friend to Ryan. At Carla's flat, Ryan's arm is looking, oh, gross. Uber pus. Mm -hmm. So much pus. And he's in pretty bad shape when Daisy arrives with coffees. But Ryan isn't in the mood to listen to her and tells her that he heard what she said to her fiancé. And I thought that's a little telling as well. Ryan's calling Daniel her, her fiance, fiance rather than Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daisy protests and admits that she only said what she said to Daniel to stop him getting jealous and how she wants to help Ryan and how she cares about Ryan. But Ryan doesn't think they were mates before the attack and doesn't know why they need to be friends afterwards. And he throws her out and then immediately runs to the bathroom and pukes up his ring. In the Rovers, Daisy tells Jenny about her confrontation with Ryan. Jenny thinks Crystal will cheer Ryan up and tells Daisy not to worry. Yikes, says Daisy. Daisy tells Daisy that she's doing a great job being nice to Ryan and looking after him, but when Daisy searches through her bag for her Crystal phone, she's shocked to discover that it's gone. So she rushes out. Back at the flat, Ryan is in pretty bad shape. He seems to be a bit delirious with fever. Yes. At number one, Daisy is turning the living room upside down looking for her crystal phone, which Daniel casually says he's given to Max in another storyline. And she's like, what the <clears> fuck, <throat> man? Get it back, she snaps. All right, all right, says Daniel. I'll take care of it. Like you I weren't using it. Like I can't give away your personal property to a minor in a young offenders unit? Jeez. Not only that, he hasn't taken the SIM card out because he really is that stupid. Yes, he is. Ryan comes out of the delirium long enough to give Crystal a call, explaining that he's not feeling too sharp, and asks for her to call him back. It's Ryan, by the way. When you when you need to say what your name is, and then say, by the way, at the end of it, that's not a great sign, man. No, and also, the shape you are in 
Maybe the first phone call shouldn't be somebody <laughs> in right. Ibiza. Right. And go further and say, maybe it shouldn't be an international call. Yeah. Phone, phone maybe the, the hospital or your doctor or an ambulance. Right. Meanwhile, back at number one, despite saying that he'd take care of it, Daniel is not taking care of it and is instead trying to justify his creepy actions by telling Daisy that David was worried about Max and as a father himself, he wanted to do something about it because woe betide that Max might be finding prison a little challenging and after all, all he did was try to blow the mark up and encourage someone to stab Alia. Daisy confesses about Ryan overhearing the conversation and despite this having fuck all to do with what they were talking about, Daniel just suggests that she gives him some space. In the flat, Ryan seems to have stopped breathing. How's that for space? Daniel goes back to Young Offenders because of another storyline where Max tells him about the voicemail that he got from Ryan and he hands Daisy's phone back. So Daniel phones Daisy, who explains that Crystal, that whole part of that storyline is complicated and she runs to Ryan's flat and rings the buzzer, passing Debbie, running off to get the spare key. Convenient. And they burst into Callow's flat and find Ryan somewhat responsive but still delirious. So they have to call an ambulance. Woo! So later in casualty, Daniel arrives just as a nurse comes out to say that Ryan has sepsis. Just like Jack had. Yeah, think. And they're worrying and they're working on it and the infection on his skin graft is pretty bad and like, yeah, no kidding. Debbie goes in to see him, which leaves Daisy with some splaining to do to Daniel. So after the splanation, Daniel thinks it's weird catfishing and despite Daisy's justification, he thinks she should feel creepy and responsible and it feels like she's been cheating on him. Sex cardigan. (laughs) She asks him to look at the messages, but he doesn't want to. I don't want to. She said she was only doing it until Ryan got better, but Daniel doesn't want to hear it, so goes home to have a quick go in the sex cardigan and then maybe some cigarettes and heroin to Max. Daisy goes in to see Ryan and Debbie. Debbie thinks it was a good thing Daisy was in the right place at the right time, or he could have died. And she gets home much, much later. Daniel, who didn't want to read the messages, has read the messages and now agrees with Daisy that she was only being a mate to Ryan and there was nothing dodgy going on, nothing like giving an underage convict of a young offender's a fucking phone. And the two of them calm down. Daniel goes off to bed and Daisy stays up to get a call from Ryan in hospital who leaves a message explaining that he nearly died today and maybe it's the delirium that's talking but he claims that he is in love with her. Oh, pig's tits, says Daisy. And that is how we end uh, this week's episodes. It was like he's he's talking and he's explaining that he almost died. And he's like, you know, because of that, I've come to this realization. And I'm like, oh, finally, he's come to a realization that maybe he should be focusing on the people surrounding him instead of a person all the way in Ibiza and that he's he's not going to call her anymore. He's not going to become codependent upon this person who who can't call him back. No. No, he has decided he is in love with this person who can't call him back. Right. Oh, God. I, I mean, mean it, it just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, men, am I right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Present company excluded, of course. Yeah. We all have our moments. Mm. 
can we just focus on him getting better, please? And, and developing this love triangle with Daniel and Daisy instead of this creepy sh- crystal sh- crap. I, it's like Paul and the car theft. It's exactly like that. It's, like, it's un- like, we have to zhuzh this story up. Obviously you don't because you're getting nominated for the story before the whole creepy phone thing. So you had something there. And now you're just muddying the waters mm-hmm. by making the story far more complicated than it needs to be and far less ethical than it needs to be. And I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know why, but I don't like it. Well, I honestly don't know how this is going. I did have a feeling that the phone thing was going to be something that tied these storylines together. And, and you were right. And I was right about that, which doesn't happen very often. But if I was to speculate what's going to happen, I think Daisy is going to realise that her love for Ryan, born out of whatever, is mm-hmm. born out stronger, of tragedy. Is stronger than than what she feels for Daniel, and I would, I would kind of approve of that. Yeah, you kind of like the two of them together. It's, it's mm-hmm. difficult for me because I, I dislike Daniel so much. Right, but if if Ryan is going to be with somebody. I would prefer it to be Alia. I don't want, but you know what? I, I just I want really, Daniel to be miserable. I don't really want it to be Daisy and Ryan after the whole... Right, because that's a after whole... After that whole thing that, that's a whole that I'm not talking about. codependency thing as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, right? being bonded by a shared tragedy. That's, that's not something to build a healthy relationship out of. Yeah, the, there's the, 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 the crown of the acid leaving the... The glass right. connects the two of them. Right, yeah. And, and that's not particularly healthy. Ignoring all the stuff that happened to them beforehand where Daisy got him drunk and all that sort of stuff. Right, and molested him. Yep. If this is what Daisy is going to realise, then she's going to realise this presumably around about the same time that Ryan's going to realise that that she and Crystal are one and the same and, right. and she's been leading them on and... And that's this is just adding another layer onto a, a delaying tactic before the two of them get together. Yeah, because I can't think of what, what else this has given us because it's it's just so creepy and 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 inappropriate. And started with the the best of intentions. I have no no doubt that from a from a character point of view, Daisy thinks that she's doing the the right thing here. Right initially. Yeah, I don't think she thinks she's doing the right thing now. No, very quickly that and yet, has... And yet she can't stop. That's crossed the line. And rather than just stopping... Right, yeah. And, 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 and understanding that Ryan's not going to be... Totally cool for him to be ghosted by Crystal. Mm-hmm. Just stop answering the texts. Well, and well, well making, it makes him down. Well, then well, he needs then to be down. Well, then he needs to be down. And then he needs to realize that there are like actual living people like Debbie around who want to help him and take care of him that he wouldn't be interested in sexually. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe, you know, depend upon your friends and not be like, well, I'm only going to care if it's somebody that I want to have sex with. Daisy said at the the start, and I I think Alia said as well, that they were both going to be there for him. Right. Yeah. Now, whether that was romantically or as a friend, I think what you need at the moment 
Ryan is not as romantic. a friend. Right. <laughs> you need friends more than anything. You right need now. people to stop by, spend time with you, keep an eye on you, and make sure you get to the hospital before you're nearly dead. Right. Yeah, it's a it, it's a strange addition on to a storyline that is that's so unnecessary and right. is never going to end in any other way than than people getting hurt and and I I think both of them have been hurt enough. Yes. In the lead up to the to the story. Oh. Yes. What did you think of that sequence with the split screens? You know I hate that shit. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was that was it's so unnecessary. Been done to death. Pretty poor. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think that that is a format in this show died when Stephen Tracy did it in that hotel room. You don't see it very often, and Stephen Tracy, I think, were right. The, that the, was the wall was the separating right, and it was good it. because it made sense mm-hmm. and everything. But then after that. You, it's lightning in a bottle. It's it's not going to work again. You'd be like, oh, people really love this. Let's do it again. No, that's not. That's that's that does not work more than once. Stop doing it. You know, it's like the it's like the whole using fuzziness and zooming the camera in and out to imply a panic attack mm-hmm. or you know a psychotic break. Friday started out of focus for some reason. There was no, there was absolutely no reason for that. Yeah, I was out of focus for the first three seconds, and then I don't know what what we're hoping to achieve there. Mm. But how easy is it for the show to play on my heartstrings by having Debbie hug Ryan oh. and have Jenny's eyes fill up right. with tears? Was and just, just the way unbelievable. that the way that Debbie just grabs him and holds on to him. You know, no hesitation at all. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely loves this kid to death. Right. You know, that's what he needs right now. S- seriously. Uh, he, she is... He's, she's the surrogate mother to him at this point. The little the bond that they have over the botched robbery. Robbery, right. She, okay, she may have had questionable motives and stuff like that. But she promised them. Right. She was going to see him all right. Yes. And she's doing her damnedest to stick to that promise. Absolutely. And and kudos to her for doing it. And then Ronnie's standing not, up for him. She's not letting it go. She's no. been trying to contact him. He's not contacting me back. But right. damn it, I'm not letting it go. No. Oh, more Debbie, please. Yes, more Debbie. And more and more Ronnie. And with, his arms. With his arms. Yes. With, with his darts playing arms. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I imagine we're going to be getting to the point where... The revelation of who Crystal is, or dare dare I suggest that Crystal actually turns up again and says something that I don't understand, but is <laughs> oh oh Ryan talks to her like oh mm-hmm. how's your country music and and your your hatred your of, hairy toes of electronic dance music and your hairy feet and Crystal's not going to have a fucking clue of what he's talking about. No. Oh, well, we shall see. But that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Debbie and Ronnie playing darts. Yeah, I love that. I love Debbie. I love Debbie. <laughs> I love their relationship. I love and, how they've started to call each other Deborah and Ronald. 
Yes. That's working for me. Yes, that is, that's, it's so cute. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And you know, at first, at first I wasn't sure about this because I thought Ronnie and Jenny. They were good. They were flaming hot. Oh, they were. The, the chemistry just burned off the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I like this relationship with Debbie as well because it can be hot. But it can also just be really charming and comfortable and loving. Mm-hmm. And I like that too. Yeah, the two of them in the pop plane darts is just great. That's our moment, moment of the week. week. Your boring moment of the week. Daniel, explain <laughs> the difference between English journaling and English literature. English language and English yes, literature. English, English language and English literature. Now, this was a week where Chesney complained about a sausage roll. He's not wrong. You, it, it, it can be a little dry if you're not the one making them. And these were like store-bought ones. These weren't, you know, Gav's homemade sausage rolls, which are delightful people. You want some baked beans with that. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. So who's it for? Daniel. Daniel. Or Chesney. Daniel. Not Chesney? Chesney was right. <laughs> Fair enough. Daniel, quite the collection. That's our... Boring moment of the week. Well, you see, and it, like it's it, the the hilarious part of that is like he takes five minutes to explain, and the kids are like, "What?" And then he takes two seconds to explain, and they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> if, he's such a bad teacher. If you have a spare two seconds to explain, you can get in contact with us. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and hell on a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. We'll be back earlier next week. With more. Uh, talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.